0: podcast and this is a podcast where we always want to be constructing something we want to be building you up the greek word often is translated as to edify in the new testament so this idea of edification building up it's where we get our word edifice from have you ever seen an edifice you know the tower of um Oh, I don't know. Uh, The pyramids in Egypt to me is like an edifice. It's something large. The Arc de Triomphe in Paris is an edifice of one shape or another. It's something that's been built and is very sturdy and strong. And so to edify is to build you up to be sturdy and strong. And so we want to be constructing all the time, making our mind strong, making our thinking firm, making our understanding of God's scriptures real and solid. So the analogy of weightlifting, though, is a good one. When you think about people who lift weights, they don't start out lifting 500 pounds. They start out lifting 30 pounds or 40 pounds. And then they add weight to it and as you add weight it is continuously straining your muscles until they are able to lift 100 pounds 150 pounds 200 pounds 300 pounds up to like olympic size lifting which would be i don't know 800 pounds or something i don't know what those people lift (laughs) but the idea is to always be building and getting Stronger, And this is certainly true of things of the mind and things of the heart, of things of the soul, is to be strengthened. I remember reading some of the books by Richard Wormbrand, who spent 14 years in prison in Romania during the communist era. And he was a pastor of a church and he stood up on national radio at the time and he said that the ideas of Marxism And Leninism and and that cannot be compatible with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And he got arrested shortly after that and spent years in prison. And he wrote a famous book called Tortured for Christ. But he says that you have to strengthen yourself. You have to basically be prepared to stand against the attacks that come upon the scriptures and the attacks that come upon the gospel and ultimately the attacks that come upon Jesus Christ himself. And we have to strengthen ourselves for that. And so the Bible is very clear that as new believers, maybe you are just drinking milk. But you shouldn't always only drink milk. You can drink milk your entire life. But because, just because you're drinking milk doesn't mean that you're a baby. Babies only drink milk. But adults drink milk and eat everything they need for a healthy body and a strong body. And so that's what we're after as believers, to be not uh, always be drinking the milk of the word. It's good to be always reviewing that and going back to basics, but to move onward and forward into something uh, stronger and deeper and fuller is what we're ultimately after. So let's look at... Excuse me. Let's look at this idea of being steadfast in 1 Corinthians 15. So I'll read the passage for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40, sorry, verse 58. This is the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, which is a chapter entirely about, uh, almost entirely about resurrection. But it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So let's talk about this idea of being vain. Not in vain. So this is why death is the great validator of life. If you are living your life and you die, which everybody does. I mean, the testimony of billions of people is is that at some point they died. And so (laughs) there are billions of people walking around alive on this planet right now, but there's also the testimony of billions of people that eventually at some point they will die. I think it's pretty safe to say everybody knows that. So Paul says here, "'My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, "'always abounding in the work of the Lord.'" for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what would be considered living a life in vain? I would imagine it's living a life of complete and utter selfishness. That could be a life lived in vain because when you get to the end of it, as much as people try to say nice things about dead dead folk at funerals, I think everybody also knows that that, with that person who's in that casket There's things about them that perhaps they didn't like or there was things that they did that maybe you can go, eh, that's pretty bad that they did that thing. Um, To live a life in vain is to be at the funeral and it's hard to conjure up something really nice to say about that person. (laughs) And so that's a sad testimony on a person's life is that they get to the end of it and, and people may be trying to say nice things But everybody really knows deep down inside that there's not much that you can say about that person in their life and what they did with it. So we don't want to be like that. We want to be what Paul says here, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, when you think about uh, the evolutionary model, so if you've not seen the Ken Ham debate with Bill Nye when the two of them walk through the Ark Encounter, ex- A exhibition but ken ham asked bill nye who's an atheist he says well what happens when you die and bill nye says well when you die you're done okay so that was bill nye the atheist that was his understanding of death when you die you are done so to have that worldview means then that when i die there's i'm my full value of life or my full um Everything comes down to zero is what ends up happening. Now, philosophically, the ideas of evolutionary belief or even atheistic belief is that ultimately we all come from nothing. Now, recently I was told that that's not true. Uh, It was when I commented on com regarding something to do with atheism, and I said that the atheism or evolutionary science teaches that everything comes from nothing— and, um, and so your value is nothing. And the guy says, no, that's not true. We come from the right combination of matter and time and and chance and that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but where did the matter come from? It came from nothing. So you can't have a view, uh, a purely naturalistic view of the world around you as an atheist and, and say it all began with matter because matter has to come from somewhere. It, it didn't always exist. And so... That being the case, you still have, even if it's just hunks of minerals about you, it still has uh, a sense that it was, it was stagnant, it was flat, it, was, um, it had to explode. You know, the idea of the Big Bang, there has to be motion and movement involved. Well, how, what ordered that? How was it ordered? How was it structured? How did all this come about? The, the statistical chances are so astronomically uh, crazy when you think about the balance between matter and antimatter and energy and light and all these things. Um, it's crazy. So, it, regardless of all that, it's still an idea of vanity. You still die. An atheistic position still states that when you die, you're done. You're dead. You're pushing up daisies. You're worm fodder. I think is one um, way I heard a guy talk about it when he was when he was discussing this on the streets with a Christian. I'm feeding worms, he said. And so then you have to ask the question, well, then why does anything matter? Why does anything at all matter? And, the, and it doesn't matter from, from a philosophical, atheistic, no-God evolutionary perspective. It, it never matters. And it doesn't matter if Bill Nye says, well, we passed on everything to our, the, our genes to the next generation. Well, what if an asteroid comes and wipes out the entire planet? And then what? What does it matter that anything at all is taking place? So Paul recognizes that, and the Bible recognizes that because there is God, everything matters. Because there is the God of the Bible and the scriptures and the God of Israel and the one true creator God, because the Bible defines God the way he does, it, the way it does, everything matters. Every little thing we do actually matters. So Paul says... Of the Lord and in the Lord, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If we function in such a way that our mind is attuned to say we are doing what we are doing for the Lord, whether it's playing a game, whether it's hanging out with your kids, whether it's going to work at six o'clock in the morning, whether it's doing that mundane thing to provide for your family, whether it's sacrificing uh, your time and your energy to make sure that there's food on the table, whether it's uh, you know hiring the person, firing the person, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that you do on a regular basis, our life as believers is wrapped up in this idea of Galatians 2.20. That I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When our life is wrapped up in that, then that is, not, that is knowing that our labor is not vain in the Lord. Because what we do, we are doing for him. Is what it ultimately comes down to. Now this should be able to now transform your understanding and your thinking. That you are not living in a life in vain, <coughs> but you are living a life dedicated to Him. And that gives it value, and it gives it worth, and it gives it a sense that uh, it's not over when you're dead, that when you're dead you're not done, but that when you're dead you enter into a new way of living a full and complete life in the Lord, much more direct and face to face. So going back to the book of Ecclesiastes, we have the Jewish idea of what is vain. So Paul says that we have to be sure we're not living our life in vain. A resurrection will happen, he says, in 1 Corinthians 15. It is true that everybody will resurrect. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever, if you're a Christian or an atheist, if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Mormon or a monk or whatever. All humans will resurrect in the end. So the Bible describes a first resurrection and a second resurrection. Our body may die, but our soul will go on to either the first resurrection or the second resurrection. And when you can read Revelation 20... Twenty-one and twenty-two, and find out what those what happens in the in either of those two resurrections, and decide on where you are, if you're in the first or in the second resurrection. But going back to the idea of vanity or being in vain, so if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it it, it tells you in lots of different ways what a vain life looks like. It is a very depressing sort of life. It is a life that finds no meaning or rest or peace in anything. So the Hebrew word vain is hevel, hevel. And it means nothingness or it means a vapor or something like that. And it's very close to the name Abel. So you have Cain and Abel. So Abel is Havel. But in Hebrew or "habel," the V and the B are interchangeable depending on the dots uh, if you look at Hebrew. So Abel, as we say, his name also can be translated as Hevel, uh, which, or the, the three consonants, the he, the ve, and the ul, the three consonantal roots of the Hebrew can also be used to spell the word Hevel depending on the context that it's used in. And so Abel, he was a positive sort of nothing because he was empty before the Lord. So his offering was one of sacrifice of an animal to God. And it said that God looked upon his sacrifice in a positive way, whereas Cain looked upon, Cain's sacrifice was looked on in a negative way. And the name Cain means to acquire. So Cain offered fruit from the ground, wheat or grain or something like that. And so he worked hard in order to grow that which he offered to God. <coughs> whereas Abel... Or havel, brought of the firstborn of the flock, and so in that, and then it had to die. So he gave up that which he gave to God. It wasn't like he grew it and just got a portion of it, and uh, he could just plant more crops next year to replace it. What he gave was of an animal sacrifice, which only came about because God's. Uh, natural processes and graciousness of allowing lambs to have, give birth and things like that. There wasn't anything that Abel could really do to speed up the process or, or, uh, or get more animals next year. It was just the way, it was God's way of producing things. And so, but Abel gave up something that had to die. Uh, Cain didn't do that. And so it, those two offerings become almost reflective of the attitude that the two brothers had in the giving. And so Cain, uh, whose name means to acquire, gave in order to get. Whereas Abel gave in order to give, you could put it that way. So he expected, uh, it was sort of a, a nothingness. So what I'm trying to explain are the two sides of the idea of vain or nothing or hevel to use the Hebrew idea. So Paul is saying, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because when you are steadfast and immovable in Christ, then your life will not be in vain in the sense that nothing will ever come of it because you know you're doing your work in the Lord. But there is a positive sense of being vain or or vanity in the name of Abel because in the name of Abel, Abel, uh, you are emptying yourself. You are making yourself uh, almost nothing in God's hands. And when you empty yourself, then God is able to fill you and to give you a strength that comes from him and not from yourself. You see how that works? And so I'm trying to explain a kind of mindset that we should have. We should have a mindset of dependence upon the Lord, which means that we are not depending upon ourselves. So we are functioning in a kind of vain nothing state, (laughs) to use it in a positive sense, not functioning in a state of I've got it all together and won't God be happy with what I have to offer? Or even uh, I don't need God at all. I can do everything in my own accord. Won't that be fantastic when I come to the end and I've acquired billions of dollars or whatever? Uh, You know, he who has the most toys wins in the end, that kind of philosophy. So that's not what we're advocating at all. We're advocating uh, and The uh, mindset that Abel had Which was one of You know I really don't have anything I can give to God That will make him richer or better I'm not I, There's nothing I can do to better God It's like um, C.S. Lewis In his book where he talked about Being sixpence none the richer If you give He was British so he, he operated in pence and pounds So if you give six pence to your child To go off and buy you A birthday present and the child buys a birthday present for six pence and then comes and gives that present to you, you are six pence none the richer, C.S. Lewis says. But that's not entirely true because you are richer in that the child, out of love, gave you a gift that he was hoping you would find enjoyable. (laughs) So the value of the gift uh, hasn't increased in and of itself, It hasn't made you any richer in and of yourself, but the fact that the child did that for you made you richer because the child loves you and wants to give you a gift. So that's how God operates. Everything that we have is of the Lord, our life, our breath. It doesn't matter what we believe, if we're we're anything under the sun, God is giving us everything, our life, our personality, our place in this world. All these things are put there by him He's allowed it to function that way. But when we turn around and offer it all back to him, it doesn't necessarily make him any better because we have nothing we can offer back to him. It came from him in the first place. But he smiles upon it and he says, I love the fact that you came and offered me something, even though I know and you know you have nothing. You see how that works? And so it's like this double-sided idea of vanity or nothingness. If we function in our own strength, and do everything in our own way of doing things, then we're operating in vain. But if we do things for the Lord, or to the Lord, or in the Lord, we are oper- We are not operating in vain of an emptiness. We're oper- operating uh, toward Him. And so the nothingness that we are bringing, God is able to fill and make full to His glory. And that's what we're after. We're after Him being glorified. So that's how it works. So let me read the verse again and encourage you, in this step forward therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord god bless you and seek to have a renewed mind in christ through the pages of scripture and you will be blessed thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast if you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.